You're listening to The Outspoken Bible, a podcast from Scottish Bible Society with Fiona Stewart, Neil Glover and Jen Robertson. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 3 of The Outspoken Bible. I'm Fiona Stewart and as usual I'm joined by Jen Robertson. Hello Jen. Hi Fiona, hi Neil. And Neil Glover, hello Neil. Hello, hello Jen and Fiona. I'm trying to sort out this whole thing for, you know, gen, gen delays, but nice to see you both. Uh, let's begin with a quick question. It's, now, this is not a trick question, but you might want to think just a little bit carefully before you answer. Ready? Yeah, yeah. What is the best wedding you've ever been to? Oh. Think carefully, married friends. Well, other <laughs> than my own. <laughs> uh, there, there's been a lot. I, I'm... I was on one in Mull once. I really enjoyed that because everybody was cooped up in Mull together. Uh, famously, there, there was a marquee tent uh, set up. They'd been set up for hours. And when I pronounced the Amen of the Benediction, it flew into the air with wind. <gasps> That's uh, good. And there was another great one as well. There was a Danish... There was a, there was a couple who got married that worked for a Danish charity. And it was the first time I'd ever seen this Scandinavian thing where you tap the glasses and the bride and groom have to kiss. So... That. I thought that was an Italian thing. I was at a wedding. Oh, was that Italian as well? I don't, I don't know. I've, yeah, I was at a wedding where somebody said that was an Italian convention. But... Maybe maybe it's all European. Yeah. Just everybody except the British are a bit uptight. <laughs> <laughs> Jen, best wedding you've ever been to, apart from your own? I'm going to go for my brother. Mm-hmm. My brother's wedding. His, his most recent, he's in two weddings, but his second wedding, uh, which was just a few years ago. I'm choosing him partly because I, it was a really good wedding, and I'll tell you why in a minute. But uh, he, he's no way he would listen to this. So I don't want to mention someone else who might listen and they think, well, you didn't choose my wedding. So my brother <laughs> Rob, um, it was in a, a kind of outdoor centre kind of place in Loch Lomond. And we, he was, him and his wife, Jane, were married outside on the grass looking over Loch Lomond. It was absolutely stunning. Uh, and it was lovely to be together as a family. And it, it was a couple, a year or so before COVID, a year before COVID. So, you know, we were all together. And then that didn't happen for a very long, hasn't happened really properly since. I'll go for Rob's on the banks, the shores of Loch Lomond. It's very good. Very good. Excellent. I, I've just thought of another one. This is typical me. Ask for one thing, give you two answers. <laughs> I did one a, a year ago. It was a, what was it this just past November? And a, I think it was a fifth attempt because it had been cancelled so many oh. times and there were only four people present. And and yet the 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 just the electricity and love between the bride and groom when she walked in it was just oh stunning. I'm almost weeping thinking about it. Oh, lovely stories. I think it is. I want another one as well. So Oh yes, go go Jen, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually what I'm really looking forward to uh-huh. is my, my friend Hannah and Peter getting married in May uh, in Loch Tay. Uh, not on Loch Tay, but nearby. And it's a three-day event. Oh, and wow. we're going wow. up on the Sunday evening and we're, we're getting to have a barbecue and then we're staying overnight and then we have breakfast and then they're getting married and then we're staying another night and coming home on the Tuesday. And my That's daughter lovely. Fiona is a bridesmaid. Oh, that sounds lovely. That's very exciting. Whereabouts in Loch Tay? Oh, I'll need to find out for you. I mean, don't don't give us the date because otherwise people might just turn up, you know, to see it. Such is the pool of the podcast. (laughs) I'm just always wary of these things. Be careful how much you share. Um, fantastic. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? I, I was thinking about, uh, I, I'm not going to name any particular ones, but but I think weddings that are, and you've both picked up on this, weddings that are a little bit out of the usual are always mm, interesting, yeah. I think. Mm. So I can think of weddings with, you know, where the food's been amazing or yeah. my friend Jill who got married and, and they had a, a marquee and they had a trampoline in the back, a bouncy oh, castle rather, in the back cool. garden for the children. You know, that was, that was fun. And a wedding I was at last year of my old flatmate, Laura. Uh, which again was an outdoor one and it was a smaller wedding because of COVID and uh, yeah it was felt very intimate very mm. very good mm. so excellent well we're going to be thinking a bit about weddings in a moment um, before that though just to give you some correspondence oh there's none oh no <laughs> right people start sending things we've got no correspondence and we are really interested to know what you're thinking and actually do you know what this is something for the two of you oh, but I've, I've got a story yes I've Neil, got a correspond- go on you've got a story go on <laughs> no i was this- in the middle of my sentence but go on 
<laughs> now you finish your story and then I'll mansplain. No, no, all I was just going to say uh-huh. was I discovered this week that we've actually had 10,000 downloads on the podcast. Oh, fantastic. Which is extraordinary. So there is a, sometimes a feeling I, I go away thinking, oh, I wonder if anybody's actually listened to this or is it just the three of us? Which is a lovely thing, but, yeah. you know, be nice to think there are some listeners. So there are, obviously there are people out there. So hello to all of you. Please do not feel that you can't get in touch. Because sometimes, you know, you think, oh, well, everybody else will get in touch. The bystander effect. We'd, it's a bystander effect. We'd like to hear from you. Yeah, One jump, in 10,000. Jump in and save the person in the water who needs <laughs> rescued. Send us an email. <laughs> um, no, the, I did have a, a correspondence by degree. What happened? It was really nice, actually. Um, there's a, a person who's part of our church that lives in Aberfeldy, fantastic kayakist. Her name's Beth. And she said to me one day, uh, oh, Neil, I heard you on your podcast. She's from the north of England, sorry. And <laughs> um, and what happened was her friend, Nikki, uh, who is a youth worker, quotes down in Hastings or somewhere down south like that. So I had been listening to the podcast and I'd been Glover's Off had been about rivers and Beth, because she's such a fantastic paddler, loves rivers. And Nikki, not having a clue that Beth actually knew me fairly well, <laughs> said, oh, there's this bloke on this podcast who likes rivers as much as you. So she picks it up enthusiastically and I just went, oh, it's Neil. <laughs> <laughs> I love that story, though. I love these stories where it's not somebody, you know, the connection is not somebody you actually know. Yeah, just so find it. Feels big a bit shout more real out that way, to Nikki, the youth worker down in Hastings or somewhere down Or south. somewhere. We <laughs> 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 find it's Hexham or something. But <laughs> hello to Nikki, that's great. Well, um, so yeah, if anybody does want to get in touch, don't forget you can do that through outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org and we really would love to hear your feedback. Um, now, in it is, I mean, it's amazing actually that people are listening, isn't it? In this world of contentious podcast times. Oh, we'll is there, about that. people, is there people well, following Spotify, it? Joe Rogan, all that oh, stuff that's yeah, all yeah. up at the moment. So there's lots of conversations isn't there, about whether platforms are publishers or whether they're simply platforms. And Shifting sands, friends, shifting sands. Anyway, uh, do get in touch. Uh, it does also help for the all-important algorithm. If you like, rate, review, share, um, do like Nikki, share with a friend and uh, review us and let us know. That helps kind of bust. Yeah, pl- please do. Because I got grouped in. I saw a podcast whose name I won't even say because it's too <laughs> rude. I think I told you this, didn't I? Yes, yeah, you did. You put something on <laughs> It said, because you listen to Outsoken Bible, we think you'll like this. And then put up this. But it's a very well known podcast, but I'm not going to say the title. Um, so I don't know what's happening with algorithms. So please help our algorithms. Yes. Yes, just a little like, a little review, little five stars. That's all we're looking for. All right, so today we're going to be talking about John chapter 2. So if you are reading along in Light and Life, that's on pages 8 and 9. There's a lovely picture of two glasses of wine. Um, looks delightful. And don't forget, if you want to order copies of that, you can still do that for your church, for your friends, or even just for yourself. Um, you can get that from scottish.bible forward slash light and life. Now, before we get on with any of that, though, it's time for Glover's Off. Glover's Off is inspired by a woman called Sheila Dixon, whose funeral I'm going to do later on today. And Sheila, who lived into her 80s, was a massive fan of a book. She absolutely loved this book. She bought it for all her relatives. And then anybody who was fortunate enough to nurse her was also bought a copy of this book because she loved it so much and wanted everyone to read it. And the book is The Boy, the Mole, the Fox and the Horse by Charlie Mackesy. And I hadn't actually read it until about a week ago. I've known about it because his pictures are all over Twitter and people love them. And I've been aware of Charlie Mackesy for some time because he's he speaks quite often on on the Alpha Course, the one in Holy, Holy Trinity Brompton. He's a he's a Christian, and I must admit I'm utterly enchanted by it. I I love the 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 drawings. I love the world. I love the fact that every page is almost can stand alone as as these. Uh, characters, the boy, the mole, the fox and the horse enter into a world of of journey, of companionship of kindness uh, together. I'm, I'm really interested in it because I think it's so singular. I can't think of any book like it. I mean, I think it's a maybe a wee bit like Winnie the Pooh, although it's written in a completely different style, but it's a similar kind of universe. And I hadn't also realised until I heard Char- Charlie Mackesy interviewed that in some ways the boy, the mole, the fox and the horse are actually all one person in conversation with themselves. So the boy represents the one who is inquisitive. The the mole represents the one who wants to eat cake all the time as a form of uh, the party, the place that you go to as you're kind of grounding. Maybe talk about that today in the wedding at mm. Cana. The fox is the one who has a sharp bite because previously they were wounded. 
and the horse is the the deeper seat of strength and wisdom and charlie Mackesy's Mackesy said maybe even the soul now charlie Mackesy himself hadn't even realized this until someone had uh, suggested this and they thought oh yeah maybe that's what's going on but I'm, I'm really interested in it as well because it's clearly captured the imagination it's it's spoken into the world of covid it's about for me a christian who has found their voice and yet at no particular point actually explicitly mentions god although i would argue that this universe of kindness and of journey and possibility could never exist without god to to hold these things together but I did wonder, and I was curious for both of you, what, what you thought of it. And I know, Jen, you haven't engaged with it. Almost, oh, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I'll let you say. But I wondered what you thought about the fact that Charlie Mackesy creates a piece of art, which clearly is a Christian, but at no point is explicitly Christian in his writing. And yet that has spoken to millions of people, including Sheila Dixon, whose funeral I'm going to do today. I'd like to know what Jen thinks, because she, she, was, she was not positive when we talked before it is totally unfair and it's something i've become more aware of as i've done the podcast as many conversations will mention something and i'll, and I'll have had i've made a sweeping decision like a quick decision about something just because so many people like it mm-hmm. there's something in me that if everybody likes it and it's all over social media i will retract back from it and not want to engage so thank you neil for that explanation and the background, I will now look at the book in a very different way. Do you have a copy of the book, Jen? No. Okay. okay. <laughs> I you can buy one. it in English or it's been translated into Scott. Uh-huh. I think I'll go for the English probably. Yeah. Uh, see, I'm, I'm, well, I'm really interested, Jen, in your response because you're somebody who loves C.S. Lewis. Uh-huh. You're somebody yes. who loves yes. Tolkien. You're somebody who loves that um, way of communication mm-hmm. that's not... It's maybe a little bit oblique yeah. in its reference to Christian worldview. Yeah. So I'm quite interested in that. I, I love his stuff. I I, I mean, I, I do have a slight response, the same as you do. I think when it first came out, which was pre-pandemic, actually, I actually mm-hmm. bought it for a couple of people um, that Christmas, 2019. And I was a wee bit kind of like, yeah, I think this is okay. It's quite a nice book to give to my cousin. Um, but I think what I what fascinates me about all of this, and I th- I, I don't know Charlie Mackey, and I've, I've heard him speak a couple of times, you know, on video talk type things but he strikes me as somebody who is very humble about his art and is taking what he does and who he is and how he does it and and almost kind of offer it what well, i i mm-hmm. think he's offering that to god and saying use it mm-hmm. and i think there's possibly something about his humility as a writer and an illustrator he's he's almost kind of just offered it up and the thing i love is when he posts on instagram he will talk about i, I what's the phrase that he uses i hope it, it's it, he, he phrases it in terms of I hope that I hope you find kindness today mm-hmm. I hope mm-hmm. that you're blessed by this and I think that I, I took something from that when I was writing those poems during um, lockdown when I would post them on Instagram I would use that same language I hope that you find hope today I hope that and I, I've just found that very profound actually it's somebody who doesn't try and preach or proselytize creates something beautiful and then offers it to the world but also in doing that is offering it i think to god too so yeah i'm, yeah. I'm a bit of a fan and i think it's been made into a film isn't it yeah yeah there was there was well, that was one of the interviews I, I really like the idea of offering up that which is beautiful and allowing god to use it but and and still keep coming back to this idea but he doesn't mention god you know it's, it's i mean is uh-huh. it like the book of esther and and yet he creates that space he he um he lives he sometimes leaves drawings at bus stops Mm-hmm. For people just to pick up, mm-hmm. and I love that idea of of offering as well. But also, and this it also speaks, it also sorry. fights against no, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but it also fights against the the quite competitive consumerist environment that a lot of artists have to mm-hmm. struggle to survive in. Yeah, yeah. So there's it's very it's a generous act, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and it's gen- and it's so singular. I mean, it, it it's it's like I mean maybe there is a whole world of books like this that I'm not aware of, but I have never read a book quite like this before. And there's something about somebody finding their voice. I, I I think that one of the challenges of the church in Scotland is is to find our voice, to to not re- regurgitate that which spoke in the past, but to find that which is true, utterly authentic to our understanding of the gospel, but also speaks. And if we do that almost automatically, it will speak. 
So that's your glovers off. That's my glovers off. Less Thank ranty today. Made kinder. I was going to say, you've definitely gone off the rant. It's yeah, been, no, I had a word with like myself. It. I went on a rant <laughs> in Christmas and I decided I'm going to be, I'm not going to do that again. Okay. Just allowing the, the kindness to seep in. Um, great. Well, thank you for that, Neil. Uh, we will put a note in the show notes to um, a link to uh, that book if people have not come across it and to his Instagram feed. Um Today we're, we're moving on to John chapter two. So how how did we get on moving from last week? The We had those different encounters with the disciples. We had the baptism at the Jordan. And uh, here we find ourselves uh, suddenly at a wedding. So it all becomes a bit domestic and local and celebratory, doesn't it? I love this story. I mean, I, I really do love this this story. I love the humanness of it. I love the the fact it's about wine. I preached on this recently and asked people about about wine and people were just off. We did it in a very sensitive way because there's clearly people who don't drink wine for very good reasons. So we ended up having a great conversation about people's cups of tea as well. So there's something about lovely drink which uh, gathers people together. I heard somebody speak on this years ago, a preacher, and they asked the question, how do you imagine Jesus in the wedding at Cana? Do you imagine him surly at the edge of the party going, okay, you've had your wine, off you go and celebrate. I'm just going to sit here and, and be miserable. Or do you imagine Jesus in the middle of the wedding, dancing, laughing, rejoicing with the family, drinking wine? And, and the preacher pushed us to imagine that second picture of Jesus. And that has always spoken to me. Often at new members classes, and they, these are people who who have very little rooting in Christianity. I show them different pictures of Jesus. And um, I, I often these pictures, there's one of Richard Chamberlain, for example, as a as portraying Jesus. Is it the greatest story ever told? Was that what he was in? I can't, I can't remember. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, and, and they're all very somber. And people say, oh, yeah, that's the, the image of Jesus we have. And then I show them a picture of a laughing Jesus. And people say, oh, no, we don't like that. It's almost as if that's offensive to Jesus to mm. imagine Jesus laughing. And yet this story for, and that question from that preacher has always reorientated me back mm-hmm. to a joyful, ebullient, gregarious, hospitable, dance-loving, wedding-loving Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's interesting as well, just as you're speaking about that, we'll also later on come on to talk about the temple incident. Mm. And that's a very emotional Jesus as well, isn't it? It's a very human, very... Um, yeah, that everything is 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 on display there. So it's, it's interesting that this chapter, that it's, the, it's very much that human response of jesus but, but godly human you know holy holy response but but actually holiness is not something that's separate well it is something separate obviously but it's not something that's disconnected from from emotion and from yeah it's utterly connected community. in john's gospel mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and in, and in that um dancing laughing parting jesus i love to imagine that he is bringing in the person that's holding back or talking mm. to the child or yeah. the older person yeah. who can't mm-hmm. dance. There's nothing There's nothing in his joy and partying that pushes people out. It's about bringing people in. You know, because sometimes, I mean, I struggle with dancing at weddings. I'm, one, I, I, I'm quite introverted. So if it's a Kaylee, that's fine. I can get up and dance because I know what I'm doing. But that kind of free dancing, I really struggle with it. But imagine Jesus being someone who makes you feel comfortable about it. You know, he doesn't, oh, I'm so good, I can dance, he's bringing you in. And, and, about, and I presume the dances at these weddings that Jesus was at, would have been at, would have been more Kaylee-like, more um, inclusive, putting arms around each other. Yeah. And and I, I love this connection with uh, the word came into the world right back to the start of John. Mm-hmm. This, this, is, this is God with us, mm-hmm. dancing and laughing and singing and, talking and chatting and being with people this is great but people run away from that image so much though they even in the story there's a there's quite a famous interpretation that only the 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 spoonful of water that was brought to the steward was actually turned into wine we we can't have too much wine or i once heard somebody speak about this at a wedding in northern ireland where uh, they stood up and said you know i was just thinking about oh sorry i was about to do a northern irish accent <laughs> <laughs> It, it can't be worse than Judy Dench's. Sorry, controversial point. I would see that this weekend, actually. But yes, I've heard. I've heard it's not very good. Anyway. Um, but he, yeah, he, he said. Uh, I was just thinking that the wedding didn't take off until Jesus was at the centre, and the wedding, this wedding at Cana, didn't happen until Jesus came into the heart of things and turned the water into wine. And then the person speaking said, "Doesn't mean you're allowed to drink, by the way." <laughs> 
<laughs> just thinking. Yeah. It's it's people running. I mean, away there is a, there are a lot of convolutions, aren't there, to try and add something onto that, isn't there? About the I mean, I I completely understand what you said, Neil, about the the sensitivities around yeah. alcohol and alcohol abuse. Clearly, um, that, that's something we you know that, that people many people wrestle with but but yeah there are a lot of commentators the commentary i was reading you know the, the guy was very quick to say yes but there's you know there's no excuse for it and you yeah. think well didn't really need you to to give me that because you're not interpreting the text and saying that yeah 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 they, they run away from it i mean there's a clear implication that people are actually drunk in the text mm-hmm. it's explicitly said and, and yet even i i feel uncomfortable that jesus might have given wine to people who were already drunk and yet and this we might come on to this, but once again, the text is taking us to places that make us feel slightly un- uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and yet we have to go with the text. We can't, we have to read the Bible we have, not pretend and kind of uh, squeeze the Bible into the shape it ought, we think mm-hmm. it ought to be. Mm-hmm. Great. So let, can we dive down into this wedding a little bit? So so I was thinking as I was reading, I don't, I don't know why I've not thought about this before. I was thinking about how long it would have taken them to, to go and fill the jars with the water apart from anything else because presumably they'd have had to go to the well yeah, to get the water yeah. to fill the jars i mean it's quite the operation isn't it yeah and water's scarce in in israel yeah i i saw someone in this was one of the lectionary readings recently and i saw someone had tweeted i think they were a curate actually they really really chuffed someone training to be a minister a priest and uh, they said uh, just perfect illustration for wedding at cana uh, bring in a wheelie bin because it's the size of one of the six stone jars wow. uh, and the person was chuffed about you're welcome and yeah but it is actually I thought that might be exaggerating but no uh, one of the stone jars which is 30 gallons I, I investigated this by the way a wheelie mm-hmm. bin is 120 litres which okay. is 24 gallons so given that people say these are 20 to 30 it's exactly in the sweet spot there the, these are six wheelie bins i was at uh, i'm going to a wedding in in april and i was talking to the bride and groom last night and they said oh come down early neil because we've ordered 120 pints of real ale and we're like oh wow imagine that 120 pints a uh, 120 pints a uh, w- would be less than one of the jars wow that's yeah. how much we're talking about yeah so so this is not because because I think because it's in not that many verses you can skip through the story quite quickly but this is quite a time consuming episode isn't it so the wedding itself would have lasted about a week is that right yeah and and I and now I was saying to you earlier I I I can't remember I know where I heard this but I, I I've never been able to, I've not been able to find the evidence for it but I once heard somebody say about this that when um the girl was born her father would have started to save uh, the wine each year. So it, by the time she got married, it'd be 14, 15, 16 um, jars of wine would have been there. And it, so obviously there's a shame attached to the fact that um, there's there's not enough and that it, it's maybe not the best quality either. But what Jesus does is he he provides wine that is better quality than anything that's been saved up from you know 15 years previously. It's quite interesting, isn't it? Because there's something about creation in that, isn't there? Yeah, Um I mean, there's a whole lot going on here, but I think this is a story which fundamentally is about the failure of creation. And I think there's all so much Genesis imagery uh, going on uh, here. Um, and one of them is six jars, which seem to me to represent six days of, of creation, but they're filled with water. And remember, there's lots of water at the start of creation. So, so it feels that creation is failing. And also these are jars for purification. So there's some allusion, we'll come to this in the temple, that somehow the whole complex of religion is also failing. And at this point of failure, um, well, if you want to say Jesus comes, but actually it's somebody else who comes first. Who's Mary? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've, when I was reading this, and I think... I think it's a reflection of how I've changed over the last few years. I think I'm I'm often looking for the women in the story and what they're doing. And this kicks off with Jesus' mother was there. And I, f- I wondered when I was reading it, was was she she one of the main main guests, if you can have a main guest, you know, because I'm, I'm sure the whole town was there. Yeah. But it's Jesus' mother was there. It was, it was her her party. She was she was part of what was going on. And Jesus and his friends were also there. They they don't seem to be as significant. Their presence mm-hmm. doesn't need to mm-hmm. be seem to be as significant as Jesus does, which was which was really interesting. And then you've got this 
conversation between a mother and an adult son. And I think I was feeling this quite pertinently because my son, who's an adult, had uh, just has just arrived home from Bolivia after being away for two years. So it's it's interesting. It's fantastic to be back in his presence. And I was aware very quickly after Andrew was home, I was saying, oh, could you do that? Like, could you go out onto the blue wheelie bin and jump up and down so all the cardboard gets squashed down? Or could you help me with this major incident of, spill, of spillage of paint that I've just caused in the house? So there's a, a kind of, you're this grown-up son, and same for daughters. I'm not, it's nothing to do with the gender, really. But, um, you know, and he's needed. There's things he can do. Mm. And, and it's that kind of Mary relationship with Jesus uh, come on, they don't have any wine. Can you do something? I did, mm-hmm. I really related to that. And then he said, but he says to her, uh, "No, uh, this isn't the right time." But then he goes and does it, mm-hmm. and she, and then that we interaction with her and the servants do whatever he says. I, it's just so much in it, and what their relationship was, and what she knew about him, and did she know he was going to do it anyway? And why did Jesus say it's not my time? But then he went and did it. Did yeah. he change his mind? Uh, did he want her not to be involved in it? I, I don't know. It's, it's very complex and fascinating. Um, and then this beautiful, as you've said, all this sort of, you know, this, this recreation. It's just full of fullness, isn't it, the wedding? Which weddings are. You know, we wear our best clothes. We meet great food. And, and it's all there in the story. And it's so significant for the disciples as well at the end. You know. Yeah. So, and, it's and, a wow and... moment. Them. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. We'll come. I mean, the, the signs. I mean, but she seems particularly tuned in, doesn't she, Mary? To two things. She's particularly tuned into the fact that potential shame for this couple. I mean, this is a devastating moment. They will never get over the embarrassment of what's happened. So, there's something about. I mean, we all carry those things, don't we? That 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 we never want our our shame to be made public, and yet here's these people on the verge of a social disaster. And she's attuned to that, but she's also attuned to who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of things. There definitely, I mean, people argue about how respectful is Jesus when he says, "Woman, what is that to do with me?" Some there's a there's there's a there's a strain of thought that says, "Oh, that's quite an affectionate term," because at the end of the gospel, Jesus turns to a the beloved disciple and and say, "Woman, this is your son." So it's quite affectionate there. There definitely feels to be some resistance coming from Jesus at this point, and yet she almost ignores it. You know, just do whatever you say. And it, it struck me that that Jesus is in lots of arguments with people in the Gospels, and he almost always wins the argument. He always has the thing to turn it around, with two exceptions. And it's a the woman of the side of Phoenician woman mm-hmm. um, who. Uh, urges him to to heal her daughter and Mary here. And I find it quite interesting that on both occasions, it's a woman who's arguing with Jesus. It's a woman who's coming from a standpoint of having faith in Jesus. And it's an urging of Jesus to become more expansive, either to to for the hour to be brought forward almost to, to this point here, or to expand the, the kinds of people that Jesus will heal. And, 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 I had never heard this interpretation until read a Catholic commentator. For many Catholic commentators, Mary is seen as the new Eve. And if we're in creation imagery, when Jesus is saying to to his mother, woman, in such bold terms, that's a recollection of the of the um, of the Eve story. And yet the old Eve caused Adam to become corrupt, or at least brought him along that road. The new Eve, Mary, invites the son of Adam into the mission of the recreation of the world. So the term woman then is, there's 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 more of a universal, universal application, would that, that yeah, be a way yeah. to describe it? Or a, yeah. it's, it's, once again, John is using something that is uh, kind of tangible and solid, yeah. but to point to something that is, that yeah. is a deeper theological yeah. meaning. Yeah. Is there something, just imagining that, Mary's request maybe would bring him into the fort, would make it all about him, like to come forward and go, like, here's all the wine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he draws back a bit in order to do it in a quieter way. Yeah. And so the focus is on the sign, yeah. uh, this thing that points to him but isn't him. Because it's quietly done, the water is taken, it, it's part of just what's going on. I hadn't thought of that before somebody started chatting, but is is that what Jesus is doing here rather than going for the full out 
I'm, I'm Jesus. I can give you the wine. <laughs> he, he's he's using the simple everyday, and, he, and, he, and there is something as you said now about these ceremonial washing uh, for jars for washing that he wants to use them. He wants to show that things are changing. Mm-hmm. So there's something of the new wine skin. I mean, I know, I know yeah. that's a different yeah, yeah. passage, but there's something of the the, the taking of the, the the ceremonial washing and turning that into something spiritual. Jen, I was interested in the fact that you used the phrase um, something about a sign pointing to him. Because it, can we talk about signs in John? Do they always point to Jesus? So in the other Gospels, signs would be very much pointing to the discovery of who Jesus is. But is there something, and I've read something that, that would imply that within John, that there is something more of that heaven and earth meeting point that's being shown? Is it, is it back to what he's just said to Nathaniel in chapter one about you're going to see even more amazing things mm-hmm. and you're going to see the angels going up and down between heaven and earth? So it, Yes, is this sign showing that heaven is now on earth, that God's kingdom is breaking in? Mm-hmm. And so he is taking that, he's stepping back and letting that be seen. Mm-hmm. And we'll explore that as we go on too, because because you know it makes me think also about the, towards the end of John, where there's that really intriguing verse that talks about you know you'll do more, you will you will do more, and I I always have that in my head thinking, what does that mean? What does that look like for me in Glasgow in twenty twenty? that Jesus says you will do more than these things that, yeah that, there's something as well about the just going back to something to you said a minute ago Jen about Jesus not wanting to draw attention to himself there's a kind of there's an ambiguity to that isn't there because there is a certain sense that this is a secret thing he, only the the servants not the master know what's happened only the disciples know it it feels that not everybody knows jesus is not gonna go hey everybody i made the wine it's me uh just want to let you know that that there is a secrecy going on here and later on jesus won't entrust himself to everybody but there's also a sense of a, a revealing of himself to those who are ready to hear uh, and and the sign seems to be a part of that, that, that it says in the end of uh, this section and two, this is the first of the signs and Jesus revealed his glory. So it's a sign also, I think, that points to who Jesus is. It, it brings us back to, once again, the prologue, the word becomes flesh and we have seen his, his glory. It's that, that word, the shining of God. There are actually seven signs uh, throughout John's gospel, which once again makes you think uh, it's a creation thing that's going on here. They're all in the early part of the book or early-ish. There's the water into wine. There's the healing of the official's son. There's the healing of a paralytic. There's the, the loaves walking on the sea, the healing of the blind man. And the last one, perhaps significantly, is the raising of Lazarus, which is the resurrection sign. Um, So there, there, there seems to be, again, this idea that, that a thing points to a bigger thing. That's what that's what a sign is and and glory. Um, can we also talk about Laura Lynn Jackson and signs while we're talking about signs? I, I'm I'm just very conscious as well that that I don't know how you think about this. That people are looking for signs in the world today. Now now sometimes Jesus doesn't like signs when they turn into a stunt, but other times people are hungry for signs. There's a book called Signs by Laura Lynn Jackson, which has sold I, I don't know if it's millions, but it's become a bestseller. And I had never heard of it until somebody showed it to me recently. Um, and people love this book. It's about how the universe is trying to communicate with you. And it just strikes me that well, one, I often see signs, you know, whenever I see a, a rainbow, for example, or I'm obsessed with whenever I see a bright field lit up by the sun. I think of a poem by R.S. Thomas called The Bright Field. Um, but we all look for signs, don't we? Do we? Maybe it's just me. Do. Uh, and and we're, we're always hungry for little moments that show that God is indeed with us. And and does that not talk back to Charlie Mackesy? Mm-hmm. Because is that is that not something of why that book has become so significant for people? Because what he's done is he's created something that is a, a pointer to something bigger. Yeah, yeah. Because it's a book about a boy and a horse and a fox and a mole, but actually it's a book about kindness and it's about a book of how we live. Uh huh. And and I, I I think that's right. And I'm I'm asking the question myself a lot at the moment. How do we share our faith in a way that engages people? Uh, because oh, there was an awful thing that happened at a meeting we were at recently where somebody announced at the end to a bunch of people who weren't Christians, to get saved, you just need to read your Bible and go to Sunday school. I mean, they were all adults anyway. I don't quite know what was going on there. but it, and, and the people involved were just so wrong-footed by that and just thought, what is going on? But it, it prompted 
I had a certain sympathy for the person who did that because what they were trying to do was to share their faith. It just unfortunately was in a way which completely left people cold. But it strikes me this thing about signs. Maybe there's something there that we can make a connecting point where, where people talk about signs and, and we can, can we talk about the Christ? Two couple of things about that, about how we share our faith. I'm thinking of Lucy Moore, who is who who was the coordinator for Messy Church all over the world with uh, Bible Reading Fellowship, who's just stepped down after twenty years, I think. But she would she would say that folk who the folk who we you would connect with within a Messy Church context are are often very far away from an, any understanding of who Jesus is and why on earth you'd even would want to respond to him. And she would talk about this. The it's like. I don't like to use the term, I don't think she did use the term pre-evangelism, but it's like you have to meet somewhere else. We, we can't meet in the places we used to meet. And I wonder if what you're saying, Neil, about the stories um, and the connecting with the, the signs that we're all looking for is how we do that. And and yes, telling stories from the Bible, obviously, but in a way that we find the common ground there. So, so then you lead to Jesus. And also in C.S. Lewis Narnia book, uh, the voyage of the dawn treader at the end the children are going back into our world and aslan says to them you've, you've known me here so you might you might know me in a different way in your own world now he's talking about jesus it doesn't also say that but there's a, a knowing before you know maybe mm -hmm. it's not about understanding it all in your head but a connection before you've even understood it all yeah, that no, that's that's great. I I think there's two things in that that that, that I would respond to. One is about the angle scale. You familiar with the angle scale, which is about how people move in evangelism. And I I think we so quickly jump to the conversion point and say that's evangelism, but actually I I I think and and that that scale would back that up that anything that moves a person along that journey towards relationship with God and then beyond the conversion point deeper into the relationship with God, it is is evangelism, isn't it? It's and I think we, we discount often those early conversations for those people that Lucy Moore is articulating. And again, I think that's what Charlie Mackesy is doing. You know, so so a criticism that would say, well, he doesn't talk about Jesus or he doesn't, you know, he doesn't make it explicit. I don't think that's what he's setting it. Well, partly as an artist, that's not what he's setting it to. But I also think in terms of evangelism, that's not, he's not setting about to bring people over a line. He's he's moving them along a, a spectrum. And, and then the other thing I was thinking about in response to that is, I think there's a real job to be done within the church and I say this as somebody coming from a creative perspective, to help people um, it, it, it explain signs or create signs mm -hmm. for people. Mm -hmm. so, so, you know, why is it that people go to Laura Lynn Jackson's book to find out about signs? Why, why is it, as Christians, are we not equipping one another to, to you know, to, to kind of entice people with, with the flavour? <laughs> Do you know what I mean by that? You know, so why are we not talking more about rainbows and more about, and that's not in a kind of wishy-washy mm -hmm. way, but actually say, well, why is it that we respond to things that we see in the natural world? Why is it that we respond to a sunset? I once heard an Australian talking about farming in Australia <laughs> and uh, how in Australia you seek out the water holes for your animals. There's no fences or barriers or hedges. The animals come because they need the water because you've you've supplied the thing that they need Whereas sometimes in Scotland, we would, we would think about corralling or, or fencing. So, And we have that perspective of the church that we bring people in, bring them in, get them in the fence, get them in the zone. But actually what we should be focusing on is why would you come? Now, we know that water is Jesus, but, you know, there's much, much more to more than Jesus. You know what I mean? What is it that is the water? What you're saying, Fiona, about the mm -hmm. signs, the mm -hmm. noticing things, uh, living life together that you want to be there so there's no need for a fence because you're being drawn towards the source of life really yes and 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 how we speak about our own relationship with jesus yeah. as well again we're very reticent yeah. to speak about what jesus is doing here and now so you know what has god spoken to me about this morning i i, I you know would wrestle a bit sometimes with with sharing that because you feel a bit weird mm -hmm. but those are those are signs aren't they the testimony of what jesus is doing in in your own particular life um Great. So, so kind of thought about signs there. Can we move on to the temple? Does, unless there's anything else anybody wants to say about the wedding, can we move to the temple? Well, my, my link to the temple is is we've talked about Jesus maybe wanting to step back here and keep a low profile. Well, within the next story, he's not doing anything at this low profile. <laughs> he's completely centre stage, isn't he? It's you know yeah. he's, he's he's in he's in a crowd. He's angry. He's very 
obvious. Mm-hmm. There's yeah, lots of questions around that. It's it's and as the phrase I'm about to say is, I hope this isn't wrong. It's one of the most unJesusy things that Jesus ever does. It feels, you know, that 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 he is so often well. Not, maybe not in John, where often his words are so inflammatory that this is almost a, a visualization of this. It's it's very interesting. John tells the story of uh, the, the the cleansing of the temple at the beginning of the of the gospel, uh, whereas the other three gospels have at the end. Now, people who try and fight for a certain view of what the Bible is in terms of history um, would argue there was maybe two temple cleansings and we don't hear about one and the other. I think that's trying to squeeze the Bible into something we want it to be. And actually, I think we have to take this at face value and say, well, why is John telling the story at the start? I think it's really related to the story of the wedding at Cana. I think both of them are about the failure of of the old creation and how Jesus Christ comes and renews and makes possible something new. And just as the water jars uh, without Christ were failing to provide any wine at that wedding, there's a sense in that for Jesus, the temple is failing to be the place that it needs to be for people to meet to meet with God. And so he, he attacks the temple. Um, he attacks the institution of the temple. He attacks the potential. It's not explicitly mentioned here in, in other accounts. It talks about a den of thieves. Uh, here it simply says zeal for the house. I, I want the temple to be the place where people meet with God. And then later on, we discover in this text that actually he's not even talking about uh, an actual building anymore. He's talking about himself. So he he's saying the old way it's not working. It, it, it's about me. And a, a kind of surface level reading of, of that is to say, well, that's about Judaism. And now Christianity has come along. So we switch from being Jewish to, 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 to following Christ. A deeper reading, I think, is to say that all religion becomes like that temple at some point. It becomes immersed in the concerns of the institution and no longer points to Christ. And in response to that, we see Jesus at his most furious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think my experience of this story is it's so misunderstood. I can remember being a teenager in church and somebody was selling Bible reading notes at the end of the service. And somebody quoted this story. You shouldn't be doing that because we're not meant to sell things. Jesus told us not to sell things in the church. Now, there's lots of things wrong with that. We're turning the church into a temple and... But it wasn't about the buying and selling, was it? Was it not because the buying and selling was getting in the way? As you said, it was stopping people being able to connect with God. And I read somewhere that this, this might have been the, the core of the Gentiles. So it was the access point. Yeah. So it's Jesus' anger because people are being excluded. Now, I can I can relate to that far more than Jesus just being annoyed because things aren't the way they should be. If Jesus is annoyed about petty things that aren't the way they should be, I don't think he's really the Jesus I want to follow. But if Jesus is angry because people are being stopped from discovering God, from knowing God, from spending time with God, then I I get his anger. And and when because yeah. there are times in life we need to be angry when things people are pushed out and excluded. There are, there are a range of interpretations of this. People really struggle with this. So there definitely feels to be an element of corruption. Here, when Jesus talks about the thieves, in why is it Jesus attacks the money changers? Why doesn't Jesus go and actually attack the whole center of the temple? So there seems to be something about the peripheral business. But then people have also rightly said, you cannot have a temple without money changing. Otherwise, people would have had to carry their pigeons across Israel in little bird cages. They would have had to bring oxen all the way from the north of Israel. You needed a way where you could sell whatever you had and wherever you lived convert it to money, come to the temple, and then turn it back into a sacrifice. In fact, there's even provision for that in the Old Testament. So an argument that goes further than this is actually said this is an attack on the whole notion of there being a temple, because you cannot have temples without money changers. Um, And therefore, once again, it's that thing of Jesus saying, tear down this temple and, and raise it up. And we we have to understand the offence of this. How, I mean, it, I don't know what the equivalent would be in 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 
I suppose for me, it would be about standing in the General Assembly Hall and saying, this General Assembly is a place of corruption. Tear it down. We want nothing to do. I know what would happen if I said that. Um, it would be like standing in Murrayfield. Uh, and oh, I think I've got one answer to it. There's a guy in my congregation um, who goes to the Gallic Mod. Do you know the Gallic Mod? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's a massive thing, the Mod. And it's uh, people you know, for years trained for it. He he has a sign in Gaelic that says, there's more to Gaelic than singing. And he puts a <laughs> placard up. In the, he has a sign in the mod. Now, the vast majority of people can't speak Gaelic, so they don't get it. Yeah. But, but, That's very good. So it's a bit like that. He's saying, yeah. tear down the temple. So, so, so even as you're speaking, it, it makes me think of it. It's, a, it's like a piece of performance art, uh -huh. almost, isn't uh -huh. it? It's almost a, 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 an act, a physical act, to draw attention in order to get that conversation about it's taken us 46 years to build this. Well, watch, I'm going to tear down. Yeah. and rebuild in three days isn't it so it's almost as though that's where he wants to get with it and his way of doing that is to is to do this what seems like a kind of almost an attention seeking yeah stunt. yeah yeah mm -hmm. and, Interesting. and classic john in jesus or jesus and john you know one minute he's talking about a temple the next minute he's talking about himself he's yeah. moved from the the literal to the symbolic mid-sentence yeah. and and john points out that that was happening but alerts us to the fact that maybe this happens lots of times and we 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 need to be alert to that so John is the ultimate interpreter of the signs, isn't he? Oh, that's it. And what yeah. he does. Yes. That's his role as the the retailer, the storyteller. Yeah. yeah. Interpreter of the signs. Um yeah, I, I yeah, anything else people want to to say on that? I I don't think we realize how scandalous it was, do we? There's a lovely wee couple of sentences between the wedding and the temple. <laughs> that struck yeah. me when yeah. he went down to Capernaum yeah, with yeah. his mother and brothers yeah. and his disciples and there they stayed for a few days and it, again it's so human like to draw back yeah to be to be together and I read something last night in a blog by someone and it was like basically stop watching telly go and do something for Jesus now I understand why the person was saying that I mean if all he ever did was watch telly then there would be a problem but there's a space for stopping being with people you love and then out you go again and if Jesus is doing it again and again it's a it's, it's a reflection of creation again isn't it of the Sabbath rest and, and it was good and he, he rested and I had I never thought about those few couple of sentences before, but and then off he goes, ready for this huge moment of, yeah, this is this is what I'm about. Yeah, there you go, there you go. Well, I would say, having been a bit critical last week of the fact that Light and Life doesn't have verse numbers, that's one of the things I'm noticing reading through without verse numbers is you you sometimes notice little sentences like that that maybe would have fallen at the end of a a section, so you're you know your your eyes rushing onto the next section. So, I did jump out, that jumped out to me as well. And um, what are our, we'll get a gem in a minute, but what are our takeaways from today? I'm just again the overall theme that it's about Jesus. I know that's such a cliche, but I'm just pulled back to that and asking, you know, I spend my days in meetings and stuff and and I get, I suppose at the moment I'm feeling a little bit overwhelmed by it and I'm mm -hmm. just pulled back to where where is Jesus in this? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. I think mine is full of what you said about what are the signs, what are the stories that we need to be telling um, so, so people see Mm -hmm. uh, Jesus now mm -hmm. um, we believe him to be the same as he was then and, and so in the work I do in my home church in my life what stories am I telling how mm -hmm. am I helping people point people to the signs Jesus mm -hmm. yeah yeah I would say I would say similarly that and you know going up on a nice bottle of wine <laughs> oh yeah we, we have preached on this recently uh, I um it was Life's too short to drink bad wine. It was, oh, yeah. Well, one of the biggest complaints that we had recently when we looked at our church was that people hated the communion wine. So when I preached on this recently, and you can do this because of COVID, people have to pick up their wine glass when they arrive in church. Um, there was a choice of non-alcoholic wine or it was a really nice wine I'd, I'd, I'd specially brought. And uh, it, it disappeared instantly. <laughs> <laughs> the challenge is to make the non-alcoholic option also as good. I don't I know. Think we've that's possible we've too. been trying for ages. If you know, if anybody, oh, that's something people can write to us about. Outspoken, yeah. tell us where the decent non-alcoholic wine is, please. And yeah. that goes into other yeah. areas of life, isn't it? Doing the best, 
that we can and, and looking for the good. Now, that doesn't mean you spend loads and loads of money. But if you invite somebody around, give them a nice coffee or make a good soup. And, you know, make, make your, make, and it might be time you have to spend, not, not money, to make a, a homemade soup or a, you made your own bread or whatever it might be. You know, yeah. give the best. Yeah. Yeah. investment in the person mm. yeah absolutely great well lots to go away with uh from this discussion thank you very much again so jim give us your gem today's gem connects to this bit of the story and when the disciples uh, at the end of well not the end of the wedding but in the wedding when they see what jesus has done with the wine they it says they believed in him and it's like a wow moment for them and I wanted to think about um, how we give young people and children, and all ages, of course, chances to respond to Jesus. Now, historically, sometimes we've thought about you need that moment in your life when you give your life to Jesus, you decide to follow him, whatever terminology we use. And we, and we see that as a one-off moment. What we sometimes do, and I've been at events where we, we keep on giving that one-off moment. So the person has said, yes, I'm for Jesus I'm going with Jesus. But then we just keep giving them that opportunity. But I think response to Jesus is an ongoing lifetime thing. And, and in our ministry with children and young people, we should be giving those opportunities, but it shouldn't always just be, have you responded to Jesus? It's the one-off time. But if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, what, what does this bit of the Bible make you want to respond? Is it to love him more? Is it to be more gracious to the people around you? And there could be a, a numerous things from different parts of the Bible we're engaging with. But I was the key thing is to feed into your time together a time to respond to Jesus, but not just as a one-off event, an ongoing daily, weekly, monthly, how am I responding to Jesus because of what I've read in the Bible? Great. And have you got any any suggestions of how people can do that? Well, I mean, I'm sure folk will be using resources that help them engage the Bible, or maybe you're just going through a book of the Bible with young people. But I, I just think it's, it's thinking about it for yourself, maybe. So if, if you've read it and you're preparing it, think, well, what does this make me want to do more for Jesus? And and putting that into a mm-hmm. question, or I mean, you, you could use physical things, you know, um, I'm going to go back to lighting a candle. That seems a classic thing, but something you do to think about that response. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'll have a look and a think about some resources you could use for that. But I'm really just thinking today about just asking a question. How how do how does this make you want to respond to Jesus? And maybe that's about structuring. So I'm not, not telling you <laughs> your answer, but maybe <laughs> is it maybe about structuring it into your programme, actually, that you give that five minutes, you give that 10 minutes. At the it's end not seeing it as a one-off special mm-hmm. event or a repeated thing, doing the same thing, but always. Well, just like we do, what's your takeaway mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. On, our, on our podcast? Just do that with, your, with children and young people there with. Great. Well, thank you very much to both of you. Um, thanks for joining us, everybody. 10,000 downloads, all of you out there. Um, next time we're going to be talking about John chapter 3. So that is a nighttime encounter and arguably the most famous verse in the Bible. Maybe we'll have that conversation when we meet next time. Until then, though, goodbye from all of us. Bye.